to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, and welcome to Masonian Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us. We're here to learn about the journey of food entrepreneurship. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. Sarah Masoni's not in the studio today. She is in Richmond, Virginia, the American Cheese Society. She's a technical judge for the annual cheese competition. You'll remember we talked about her background in cheese, so she's sought after for judging things like this. And I checked in with Sarah. She's deep into the judging, judging 1,800 different cheeses. It's the perk of the job, which sounds so fun. Uh, She promised to bring me back some cheese, so I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. Well, we miss you, Sarah, and can't wait for you to come back with all that cheese. Today, we're going to talk about some food news. Uh, We didn't get any food news coming in today, so I'm going to take the opportunity to tell you about my food news. Uh, We have a new monthly market flavor we're bringing to the farmer's market this week. Uh, The first Saturday of the month, we bring a limited edition sauce to the PSU farmer's market. So tomorrow, we're bringing our tonkatsu sauce, and we make this sauce with Ryan Roadhouse of Notoguro. It's a Japanese-style sauce made for pork tonkatsu. We use all local ingredients like King's Ridge Pinot and... Um, some apples and carrots. And so come and try it this weekend. And if you are a food entrepreneur and have a press release for us to announce, please submit it. Uh, Those go to startupradionetwork.com and um, you can go into the comment section and send us those and we'll help you spread the word about events and new products and awards. So thank you. That's our food news for today. And even though Sarah Masoni is not in the studio today, I'm not alone. Uh, I'm joined today by Junia Rocha from Brazi Bites. Did I say it right? You did. Oh, good. Well, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you here today. Um, this is the first time we have officially met, but I do have a story for you of when you, you don't even know this story, but there was one day where you saved my life. Can I tell you about it? I'm excited to hear about it. <laughs> okay, so this was a Please. long time ago. So we, I started my business in 2011, which is when you started too, right? That's right. So I did this food event, and it was called the Northwest Food and Wine Show. Do you remember that? It rings the, a bell. Yeah. The, so it was in the. It used to be held in the um, Lloyd Center. Um, I think it was called the Red Lion. Maybe at that time it was a hotel, and they did this food event down in the basement. And it was one of my first times doing that event. Well, it was the first time I had done that event. And I didn't realize that they had you start really super early and get set up. But then the event didn't start for a long time. And then I thought there would maybe be a place to get food. And there wasn't. So I went from the morning to the afternoon to the evening without eating anything. And my booth was right next to your booth. And you guys were cooking up your brazy bites in these little ovens. And I came over and I was like, I'm so hungry. I forgot to bring any food. And so you 
said to me that I could come over as much as I wanted and I could have as many as I needed <laughs> for the whole night. And I think that you made it so I got through that evening. That's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank I you for it. being generous with your samples <laughs> for me because really I don't think I would have gotten through it without you. I love it. I love it. And then I got to know how delicious your product is and I got to help spread the word. And I still do tell people how great they are. So tell us about when you started. So I started Brazil Bites with my husband Cameron in 2011. We co-founded the company together and kind of had this idea of uh, bringing Brazilian cheese bread to the U.S. market. That's so great. And I um, I read your story a little bit on your website. So that was in 2011. You got started. And did you start? Where did you start? In your home kitchen, or did you have a commercial kitchen? We started sort of, I would say, like, step one to starting the company was we took a class that here in, in Portland called Getting a Recipe to Market. Oh, yeah, through the Food Innovation Food Center. Food Innovation Center. And um, I know you guys are familiar with this class, and I, I can't say good enough things about this class. It's amazing. It was like the perfect start, yeah. you know, because coming with very little food background mm -hmm. and not understanding the industry, it was a perfect way to just, like, 101, you know, what does it take to get going? And so the class was sort of like ground zero for us. Yeah. And it was amazing. So you kind of started the class having this recipe and it's a family recipe, right? Yes. So you mm -hmm. had the family recipe, but you didn't know how to actually make it into something to sell. So the class really helped you with that. That's right. That's awesome. And so by the time you finished the class, how long was it before you had a product to sell? So the class kind of leads you, it's a 12-week class and leads you to this path of development that by the the end of 12 weeks, you have something somewhat tangible um, to share with a buyer because uh, actually the end of the class, it leads with to a presentation to a local buyer. Mm -hmm. You know, back then it was new seasons. I think these days it's like new seasons and market of choice. So it has even grown. So it just, it gets you to a product. For us, we had something. We thought we were ready and we were really excited. Looking back, we weren't quite ready, but we did have a chance to have something in a package, create a design, create, you know, UPC codes, what sort of design a sort of a, a mock-up product yeah. that could potentially be at a co-op. So, like, really start up. So that was really cool. But after that, we, we sort of learned so much from the class. I would say about a year later our product officially hit stores. Cool. Um, it was sort of like it took us a year to develop the production process, mm -hmm. and we uh, we started at a commissary kitchen. Okay. okay. Yeah, we did not do a home kitchen because we had a frozen product. It needed a lot of specific equipment. And so we went, and we, we weren't ready to own our own facility. That yeah. wasn't a good idea. And so we went to kitchen crew. Mm -hmm. here in Portland, which is a shared commissary, and we would just pay by the hour and do trial runs and start packaging product that way. Yeah, Kitchen Crew is really great. We've we've talked to some people that have gone through there, and I've known lots of people over the years that use it. So it's a great way to kind of start up without a lot of initial costs because you don't have to buy the equipment. You can go in and bring your stuff in and just use it as you need. And then once you start selling some of your product, then a lot of people, it's not always a permanent solution. You know, they are just there temporarily. 
entirely. How long were you cooking out of Kitchen Crew for? Yeah, so like you perfectly describe it and it's so important for food entrepreneurs to kind of understand that because you have to prove the concept. And Mm -hmm. so being at a commissary early on is great because you're not taking on the burden of the cost of the facility, of the employees. And so it seems really expensive when you look at like, oh, you're going to pay by the hour this Trust me, it's a lot more expensive to run your own facility, oh, yeah. you know, so it's like it, it just it makes so much sense. And you now know that from experience because you, um, you know, started at this commissary kitchen, but then you got your own facility, right? Yeah. So we, we had we sort of had a stepping process to growth of manufacturing of Brazi Bites. So yeah. like kitchen crew, it, it changed and I'll kind of like give you an overview of the everything and then we can dial back. Sure. So it was kind of like this in, t- in like eight years. It was one year of kitchen crew. Uh-huh. And then from there, we moved to a shared facility where four manufacturers of gluten-free products share a warehouse. And uh, we were there for a year or two years. Um, I can't remember exactly, but kind of similar time of kitchen crew. From there, we opened our own facility which was a 5,000-square-foot facility. And then from there, we moved to a co-packer. So it was commissary, shared, our own co-packer. Yeah. So it was very stepping, and it was kind of like matching where the brand was growing in the evolution of the distribution. So you've kind of gone through all of the processes that we talk about on the show and that um, people are thinking about doing because every, you know, everyone that we've had on so far, they've done maybe a couple of those things, but you've really gone through all of them because now that you have the co-packer, you'll probably just stay that way, right? Unless you opened an even bigger warehouse. That's right. Would be the next um, thing. You know, it's funny. You, you, you think like once you go that way, it depends on the product. Once yeah. you go to Copa, it's hard to come back because it's it gets very complex to do high volume. But there is actually a, a, a sort of like a, 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 a option in the universe to say, is there the capacity that I need for the next phase of the company? Yeah. Should I go build it? It's it. it it doesn't always make sense. That's why you don't see it. But I wouldn't say just like it's forever no return to, yeah. to manufacturing in-house. It's just it's fa- it's easier to scale if you find the right co-packing partner. Mm-hmm. And then you can really focus on the things that you're great at, which is product development, branding, yeah. selling, you know, all of that good stuff. Yeah, you can focus on those things because somebody else is manufacturing your product for That's you. That's right. That's so cool. I'm glad that you found someone. We always talk about that your co-packer uh, kind of becomes somebody that you enter this relationship into. So it's really important to know that they do things the way that you want them to and that the relationship is going to be really good because I know your product is gluten-free, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So you have to find a co-packer that's going to honor that and follow those things. Was that a hard process for you to find somebody that could do all the things that you needed? Yes. Yeah. Um, primarily because of um, f- the combination of frozen mm-hmm. and gluten-free. Yeah. There is not a lot of capacity in the country for those types of products. So there's a lot of frozen capacity out there. You can go, you know, find frozen co-packers everywhere. And you can also find frozen, uh, I'm sorry, gluten-free co-packers everywhere. But mm-hmm. when you combine both. The two, it's And then limiting. you're combining a product that's so unique, like Brazilian cheese bread, mm-hmm. that we pretty much created this 
category in the United States. Yeah. We can talk a bit about kind of that piece in a little bit, but like the manufacturing, it wasn't plug and play. It wasn't yeah. like everybody makes bread, everybody makes chips, even almond butter. You can knock on people's door and say, can you make my almond butter recipe? Can you make my chips recipe? Mm -hmm. We had something so unique that needed a level of attention. So what it was really hard. Um, yeah. And Cameron is um, our COO and, and, you know, that's, he lives and breathes that process, finding solutions to scale the business, understanding who in this whole country makes frozen, who makes gluten-free, who can do that that way. Because to us, it's important to be gluten-free certified. It's important to use the right ingredients, to have the right... We're obsessed about product, mm -hmm. product quality and taste. Yeah. So deciding the right cup co-packer is important. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found somebody that it works for you. Um, you did mention your husband. So let's talk about what it's like working together with your husband. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is a question we get all the time. So we, you know, we, we started, the idea came about together. Mm -hmm. He had gone to Brazil many times with me and had experienced Brazilian cheese bread, pound de queijo and loved it. And so and I was obviously obsessed with it, grew up with it. So, like, together we had this idea, and we were in this stage of our lives that we had, you know, we were building a life together. We had graduated several years earlier. We were working corporate jobs that we weren't really in love with, and we felt like it was a good time to, like, do something together, mm -hmm. really align in our drive to do things and just roll up our sleeves yeah. and get stuff done. And so th it was it was very much aligned. Throughout, it's been almost 10 years working together. It's... um. Overall, for us, it's been very positive. It doesn't come with without its challenges because you're when you're growing a company, it's so intense. And so there were several years that there was literally no separation mm -hmm. between personal and work. And and people are like, oh, you have like you come into the door, you don't talk about business. That's not reality. Yeah. You know, My husband and I run our business together, too. So it is like you kind of live and breathe. It's like when you have a child together, it's not really much different. Like you can't just put your kid to bed and not think about them. Like when you have the business, it's just what you talk about. It's what you focus on. It is part of your life yeah. and your journey together. I think overall it has benefited us because we, in the early days, we would just like work 24-7. Yeah. Which you were thinking, like you have a co-founder and you go to your separate homes we probably worked four extra hours every single day at night just by like talking through it and like finding solutions to all the little problems. Yeah. So it just kept evolving faster through that. And we just, we have great respect for each other. I think he's amazing at what he does. And nowadays the company is a lot bigger, so we don't work as close together anymore. Mm -hmm. He runs ops, I mean marketing, but... It's it's a it's a great partnership. That's awesome. I love to hear it. I love when there's a love story behind a product, and it sounds like you guys really have that there, which is awesome. That's so great. People should bring Absolutely. bring this lovely partnership into their own homes. So um, we kind of talked about why you started, but one thing that I really wanted to you mentioned it a little bit. So your product is very unique. Um, Brazilian cheese bread isn't something that was on the market before that I had ever seen or that um, was out there. So has it been, you kind of had to educate people about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what's that process like? Well, if, let's first, let's educate people about what your product is. So tell us about yeah. Brazilian so cheese bread. Brazilian cheese bread also um, 
it's known it's called pão de queijo, which is means in Portuguese just straight up like cheese bread, mm-hmm. right? And so it is the most popular snack food throughout Brazil and South America. It's everywhere. And how do people eat it when they buy it in Brazil? I mean, do mm-hmm. they buy it or do they just make it at home or how is it consumed there? It's such a staple and ingrained in the culture that is made at home. It's also available in grocery stores, in the freezer section, in the similar freezer. Uh, to the way we sell Brazi Bites, but it's kind of more, if you think about it, it's like a staple, it's a commodity, you know? Yeah. So it's like everywhere, there's multiple freezer doors of this product in every single grocery store in the country. It's at school cafeterias, it's in shopping mall kiosks, it, it's at the airport, it's literally ingrained in the culture. And so it's a delicious product. It's been around for centuries in South America, and it's made with tapioca flour. That's why it's naturally gluten-free. So literally has eight ingredients. It's very simple. It's tapioca flour. It's cheese. It's a little bit of oil, milk, and eggs, and it makes this delicious, fluffy, inside uh, bite. That is, I mean, I've had it before, so I know how delicious it is, but it's so amazing. But one thing that I want you to tell us about is um, tapioca flour, about yuca, because it's not something that's a common ingredient here to use in baked goods. So tell us about that. So tapioca flour is <coughs> made out of yucca flour, and it's a root that grows in tropical countries. So you see that root and you know i'm seeing it more and more in grocery stores here and people are cooking um fried manioc and like i'm starting to see even here in portland at fred meyer and new seasons at whole foods a bit seasonal but it's out there but um anyway the tapioca flour is made out of this yucca root so it grows in thailand it grows in brazil and grows a lot tropical weather and it's it's a great flower it's a uh, nightshade free so there is a trend of like going away from nightshades that may ca- be causing inflammation so it's it's great for that and it's delicious you know here stateside it was or you know, decades ago, tapioca was just like a dessert, right? Mm-hmm. Like a sort of a thickening That's agent. how most people, I think, think of it here. It's yeah. like you say tapioca and they think tapioca pudding. And like, exactly. that's it. That's as far as the scope really goes for like your everyday consumer, I yeah. think. I think that, you know, products like uh, our products uh, and, and other brands are changing. Like Daya, um, the, you know, the vegan company, they use a lot of tapioca in their pizza crust. There's a lot of uh, brands now using tapioca flour in, in chips, especially in, the, in this better for you space. So it's becoming more mainstream and we're excited about that because it's a great flour. Yeah. And um, I also was seeing that when you were first starting to make it, is there a kind of cheese that normally in Brazil you would use that we didn't have here? So you had to do like a special cheese blend. Is that right? So the the pão de queijo in Brazil traditionally is made with a cheese called Minas cheese, and it's a it's a delicious cheese, and it's it's native of Brazil. And one of the things we wanted to make the product as authentic as possible mm-hmm. and as close to my family recipe as possible, but it it just was not. We didn't want I, I just import everything just that just wouldn't it wasn't sustainable it wasn't the company that we wanted to create so we kind of settled on the tapioca flour had to be the authentic brazilian tapioca flour to give that perfect crust and that fluffy center of the cheese bread but the cheese we set out to replace there's so many amazing cheeses here Mm -hmm. in the u.s available you know so we set out to find the perfect blend or replacement for my family's recipe and we spent hours in the kitchen i think it took that was kind of that 
that one year that I, I talk about, like yeah. between the class and launching the product, obsessing about which cheese and how, you know, what the perfect combination is. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we finally found the perfect combination of cheddar and Parmesan cheese to just bring that flavor that I remembered from home. That's so awesome that you could figure it out here and still be using great, because I do think we have great cheese here, but it was just a different blend and combination. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production, Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. Sarah sent me a couple of questions. One of her questions that she had was how many pounds of, I think she has cheese on her mind right now. How many pounds of cheese a year do you use? Do you know? Um, I don't know. Um, We've been selling, I would say, I'll have to get back to Sarah on that. That, that was, that's, a, that's a Sarah question yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> we sell millions of pieces of Brazi Bites, you know, yeah. uh, millions. In, it's in the millions of bites each year. And so that's a, it's a lot of cheese. Yeah. Tons of cheese. Well, Tons of thanks cheese. for supporting the cheese market here. <laughs> you're really going strong. Um, so let's talk about your, you mentioned your family recipe. So um, you wanted to honor your family recipe your recipe came from your mom is that right yeah and how is she did you make your mom proud she's she's really excited um I will say that as you know Brazilian culture when I said I'm going to leave my corporate job as a civil engineer Mm -hmm. well-paid benefits to start a food company selling cheese bread there was quite a bit of hesitation Mm -hmm. there but I stuck to my guns. I knew I wanted to try this. And now, you know, a decade later, she sees what we've done. She's so proud. She loves it. That's so awesome. We always want to make our moms proud, you know. So I'm glad <laughs> that you did that and that you honored her recipe. And it's so cool to hear that story. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that come in and tell us their story. And they start out with, I mean, I think we've had a few lawyers, engineers. Like, there's all these people that have this career that, um, you know, people think they will maybe stay in for their lifetime and they're just not getting what they need out of it. Do you, like emotionally, do you feel like you got what you needed out of starting Brazy Bites? I, I can't say that enough. So the the, the sort of difference in, in shift was, you know, I worked as an engineer for almost 10 years mm-hmm. in like building project management, building buildings and stuff. And that was what I went to college for. And I had a great job, but it just wasn't fulfilling. I could see it emotionally, like in my soul, it wasn't right for my future and who I was, right? So having the idea of starting Brazi Bites was kind of like trying something new. I was in my late 20s, so it made sense. It was an epic grind, but throughout, there were so many obstacles and so many challenges to get here. Throughout that whole process and the journey, and still a journey because I'm still in it. Yeah. It always felt like I was meant to be doing that. Mm-hmm. So it just, it kept bringing back and it, it kept powering through. And I think Cameron felt the same way. It's like, I, I'm meant to be doing this right now. Therefore, I will work through the challenges. I will wake up another day and I will fight through the, cha- the monster challenge that it is growing a company, especially the first several years. Mm-hmm. And so it just feels so awesome to be 
doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing in life. And I think once you get in that path, you feel it and you know it. Yeah. And it's not perfect every day because that's not life. You know, stuff goes wrong still every single day, but that's okay because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're just... You get through it. Yeah, you really found your mission and and your journey. And it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means that you're fulfilling your your emotional needs that you needed. You have this thing that you've created that has given you more than your corporate job has. Absolutely. So and it, so and it has nothing to do with uh, money. Yeah, totally. You know? yeah. And I feel like that's part of your story is that you are telling the story of Brazil and the food there because you're educating people on something that they knew nothing about. You're having all of these people eat Brazilian food that they probably never would have had if you weren't here. So you're, has that like been a focus for you and part of your mission? That has been important. It's not the main focus. Yeah. I think that that has been really great to see. The focus has been to make an exceptional product, you know, make something so delicious and bring it to consumers. And so whatever resulted from that in spreading and the culture piece is so amazing. One thing that I did always focus on that was important to me is to show Brazil in a positive light. Um, a lot of times with countries that people don't know much about, all of the news that's like out on the news and people receive it could are negative. Mm -hmm. Potentially crimes or this and that, you know, and uh, natural disasters. And so I wanted just to take something that was very simple, like a food item that is culturally related, not overly exotic, but just put a light in Brazil in a positive, simple way so Americans could connect with that. That that has been really important to me. That's great. Well, I think you did a wonderful job of doing that. And um, one thing that uh, you brought up as well was your product being gluten-free. We talked about it being in a gluten-free facility. So is that just naturally how the Brazilian bread is made, or was that something that you changed? Naturally. So okay. that's what's cool about this product is that it's naturally gluten-free, Brazilian cheese bread has been made with tapioca flour for centuries, always gluten-free. Before people even knew what gluten-free mm -hmm, was, before yeah. there was any awareness. It's great there's there's awareness now because it's helping a lot of people be yeah. healthier. Mm -hmm. um, and some that really needed to survive. But um, in Brazil and South America, it's staple ingrained in the culture without the not awareness of the gluten-free. It just is. It just it's just is. a flower just that you, a thing. That you is, eat. Yeah. Are you gluten-free? Is that something that you practice? Or I am not gluten intolerant. Yeah. Cameron is gluten intolerant. Several people in the company are. Um, we have learned so much over the several years about gluten um, intolerance and celiac disease just to make sure we're serving our consumers well. Yeah. And, um a lot of people benefit from it. That's great. Well, I mean, it's important to know your customer. And if, um, you know, you just kind of have to figure that out as you go. Maybe that wasn't what you, when you started, it wasn't maybe something that you focused on or even knew to focus on. But I think as you start to meet your customers, you realize that it's something that's so important. So then when you're making those next decisions that you were making about a co-packer or a facility or things like that, then you can like kind of work those into it and really educate your customer that you're following the things that they a hundred percent. And the market is always changing, right? Yeah. What we thought 10 years ago and as we as we reach more more markets and like the U.S. is also such a huge country as we go to the East Coast and we get, you know, out of Oregon and stuff like that. How are the consumers connecting with the product? What are their needs? And so that's always changing and you have to evolve as a brand owner. Yeah, I think that's super important. 
So um, I've seen that you've gone around and toured a bunch of food shows. Um, do you have any favorite food shows? We've done a lot of food shows throughout the years. We've done a lot of events in general. Um, every stage in your in the food company, I think there are shows that are helpful. Um, at first, they come across as really expensive for a startup. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, my, you're charging me this much to just be there. Um, I do love Expo West. Expo you West. You know, I think Expo West is, if you can, if your food, you know, if you're... It's not a show that you just had an idea and you go to Expo West, but if you're developed, if you're getting distribution, if you have your brand identity and confidence in your message, it's a show that can really change things because buyers from everywhere come and, and you know, they're there to discover brands. I love that show. We do a lot of distributor-related shows mm-hmm. and we do a lot of retailer-related shows once once you're in the system, you sort of to try to grow that business and that partnership. Yeah. Well, I think um, a lot of food entrepreneurs, when they first start, it is. It's a big expense, and it's hard to get used to doing a show where you're not selling. Because mm-hmm. a lot of you know the beginning events that you're doing, you're doing maybe a farmer's market or you're doing a food show where you're selling directly to the customer. But then when you start to do the expos or the food shows, you're not selling anything and you're paying a lot of money for, to be there. So I think it's really hard for people to make that jump. Can you talk about why you think it's important or what comes out of the the food shows that you do? Yeah. So let's isolate Expo West, sure. right, which is the biggest food show in the country for natural foods. It has about like it sees about 60,000 people. It is very overwhelming and intimidating. If you're a startup and you walk in there, you're like, holy cow, this is how competitive it just gives you a glimpse of the, com- the level of how competitive the industry is. However, if you're there. So I think that I don't think you you go without knowing your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But once you do, so let's just say you package your product, you have distribution and new seasons, you're working with a couple distributors, maybe you tiptoe into working with UNFI and Kehi, you start to understand that model. When you go to Expo West, what you can get out of, if you're ready, is you're going to meet retailers from all over the country. So for example, like if you're a Portland food company, it will be very challenging for you to meet the buyer of Wegmans, which is an, a wonderful retailer in Northeast that sells, you know, has 80 plus locations, supports a lot of emerging brands, can sell a lot of product to a customer base that's similar to Portland. But how are you going to connect with them? So mm-hmm. an example is Brazi Bites. I met the, the Wegmans buyer really early. It was 2014, 2015. And um, we... Um, you know, met the buyer at Expo West, and that became a very fruitful relationship. To this day, our products are there, and she really helped grow the brand in Northeast at that time. It takes time, but it, that exposure and that, um, that that connection at Expo West resulted in a lot of revenue over time and more, more than paid for the show. But, it, it, you know, it's a long-term I think that's an important thing for people to hear is that the goal is that you're getting enough new accounts that it's worth it for you, that it's paying for the show, and you really feel like that happens at this particular expo for you. Over time, over time, and if your message is right, you know, and you bring the right energy, you will make enough connections to more than pay for it because yeah. if if that wasn't the case brands wouldn't be coming back year after sure. year and yeah. investing right so it is doing something yeah but you you, you got to be ready 
to get that distribution. So in your experience, you would recommend it to people if they're ready to be able to sell in, in bigger stores and wholesale accounts. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Well, we um, it's time to try a product. So your um, Brazzy Butts just got delivered here, and we're going to taste them. I'm so excited. Thank you. <laughs> So, so we've got um, we've got um, two new product lines. So I'm gonna cool. kind of share with um, with Sarah here. Yeah, I've uh, only had the original cheese bread. That's it. When when I right. met you at first, that was the only thing you had, and then I've just stuck with it. So I'm excited to try some new things. So I'm gonna share our cheese bread line. Currently has four different flavors. So I'm gonna show you. So we have a cheddar and parmesan, which is our most popular flavor in our traditional. We have a garlic asiago, we have a three cheese pizza, and most recently we launched uh, a flavor named cinnamon churro, which is our first sweet flavor. It's amazing. Oh, cool. So I've got all four fl flavors here, and then try that. I'm going to talk to you about our brand new product line, which is empanadas. Oh, awesome. Okay, so I will um, post a picture of what these look like after the show, um, but they're super cute. So they're these little tiny bites. They look like um, just a little bread bite. How would you describe what they look like? They are a round bread bite yeah. of deliciousness. Yeah. So I'm going to um, try the regular cheese. So this is just the three cheese. Oh, this is a three cheese pizza. Three cheese pizza. That's so yeah. cool. Tell me about this box that you have here. Is this something that you just use for giving to people to describe it? Because it's a box that's keeping it keeps things hot. It has the description of everything that you have. It's an awesome marketing tool. Yeah. Tell me about so that. So what what Sarah's talking about is a sort of what you what you imagine like a mini pizza box that is just showcasing the flavors of our product line. And it was, it's actually a tool that we use in sales and marketing when we're trying to communicate because we realized we have so many flavors. We have now two product lines and we were going into these meetings with buyers um, and trying to explain what we do. Mm -hmm. And we were, we were, this was a creative way to say we have two different product lines and each product line has four different flavors. So it gives them a great visual to understand our offerings. And yeah. so, yeah, it's it's been really successful. I love it. It's so nice because it's like instead of having a, um, you know, descriptive sheet and giving them packages and telling them to eat it or heat it up because you couldn't really give it to them while you're sitting there and talking to them. So this is a really awesome uh, marketing tool. Did you did you design it? Uh, my my team. I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, great mm -hmm. job. Absolutely. Tell your team. They yeah. really did a nice job. I've never seen anything like it, and it's perfect because it has all of the special things about the um, product, like that it's soy-free, vegetarian, all of that stuff. So that's really cool. So I love this. I have not had the um, pizza bite before, but it is so wonderful. So I'm also going to try garlic asiago. So um, how how long did it take you to come up with the different flavors? When we started the company, we had just the traditional, which is the cheddar parm, right? And so then we realized that in order to compete in shelves, because in Brazil, there's literally only one flavor. It's almost like it's, it's, it's funny how like Brazilians are so used to that traditional flavor. You have multiple doors in the grocery store. It's like, think about that staple. It's like nobody wants another flavor. Well, here stateside, you can't build a food brand with one skew, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So that was a kind of like a business decision. And also we felt like we need to give more offerings. We need to grow this brand and, and make it more fun. 
And so originally we had a jalapeno flavor that you don't see here. Mm -hmm. And then we had a bacon flavor. Um, back, you know, think like four years ago, how bacon was like so popular. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of like speaks to also like having to move change quickly. Over time, when you look at your skew assortment, like the, the bacon flavor didn't didn't make sense. You know, the, the b bacon trend kind of like came and went and it was expensive to make. Um, so financially for the business didn't make sense. And then the jalapeno, we try, try, try for years and just this year we're discontinuing it. So over time we've created, in fact, Sarah Massoni helped us create the garlic asiago. That we, one is so good. I just tried the garlic asiago. Mm -hmm. It is a lot different from the other ones that I've had because, you know, you really get the cheese flavor in the mm -hmm. other ones. And I think this one, you get the garlic, which is great if that's what you're after. But it has, it's really, um, it's really a nice flavor. It's not overpowering. It's, uh, you still get the cheese. It's really nice. I love that one. I love that as a mini dinner roll. That's why we created. Oh, yeah. We felt like our fans were saying, I eat Brazi Bites as my dinner roll, as my dinner side. So we felt like what is more like sort of like people want and they love and they can easily connect and then sort of a garlic flavor. And so Sarah here um, helped us create that perfect combination of the different Yeah, I didn't think of, of it as a, as a dinner roll or like a garlic yeah. bread. You would do this instead. I think that's such mm -hmm. a good idea. I also saw on your Instagram that either you or people were putting it in their kids' lunch, which I thought yeah. was so smart. I wouldn't have really thought of that, but my daughter would love this. Absolutely. As, you know, that's so great. She would, she won't really eat sandwiches. So, like, most people, I feel like, send their kids to school with, like, a peanut butter sandwich, and she will not eat that, but I think she would love these so much. I'm going to try your new churro flavor. So tell me about... What made you make a sweet flavor? Because that wasn't so, yeah. didn't exist I mean, before. our fans have been asking for a sweet, a sweet flavor for years. We lean on our fans quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, we lean on like our gut, <laughs> what the market is going, and what our fans are telling us. Mm -hmm. Like always listening, and they've been telling us, you know, we want a sweet flavor of brazi bites. Like I love brazi bites. Just give me something sweet. Give him some. We struggled to make a recipe that was really on point. You know, yeah. so over the years we tried like chocolate we tried caramel we tried like um sort of like a mini apple pie concept we tried a bunch of different things and nothing would wow us and so we wouldn't launch it mm -hmm. last year we we said okay we're gonna we're gonna try this and we felt like we're gonna go a little bit deeper so Cameron led this effort and he worked with Sarah here we also work with Kira from uh, Kira's bake shop oh, here yeah. in Oregon I know Kira so we love Kira. She's a good friend. Um, met her through the gluten-free space years ago, and she's amazingly talented. Yeah, Kira has a gluten-free bakery in Lake Oswego. So if Absolutely. you're one of our gluten-free pals, go find her. Her bake shop Kira is awesome. Kira Bake Shop. Yeah. She's amazing. She's a Cupcake War winner. She's, mm -hmm. got a, she's just like a force. And so we were struggling to f make that perfect product, and our obsession of making perfect products we just were like, we can't launch it. It has to wow. So we went to Kira. We said, we have this recipe. We like it, but we don't love it. Yeah. Make us like, make us freak out about this. Make us take a bite and just like be like, I can get enough. I'm going to take this to market on yeah. our brand. She did that. So she worked with Cameron in the kitchen and they produced a product that was so wow. And Immediately, we were able to launch it nationwide at Target and nationwide at Whole Foods. Wow. And it's going everywhere. And our, our fans are just super excited. And the feedback has been 
overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, so we're, we're so thrilled about this, good. this item. I'm not always a sweet person. You know, I like more like savory and, and salty and spicy, but I was expecting it to be really sweet and that I wouldn't be into it, but it's really not. It's like... There's sweetness there, but you really get the cinnamon, and it's just, like, comforting and warming. Like, it'd be, like, a great breakfast thing. I think my daughter would be really super into that one, too. I, I like it. I think you guys did a great job. I'm sure Thank it's hard you. to go into a whole nother realm all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not always it's not easy to create amazing products and amazing recipes. Mm -hmm. And it takes that sort of obsession because you get something to like an 80% and you're like, oh, this is good. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when you're growing and you're trying to launch new products, but we just, we can't, you know, we're like, it has to be. Wow. Like it has to blow your mind when you take a bite. And then sometimes um, you create something and you're really excited about it and you think it's great, but then it's just not transferring to the market very well. So I think, um, you know, you mentioned discontinuing products. Sometimes that's part of it. And I think it's really hard as a business owner to do that because you create something you love, you know, and you want it to perform and you're like, oh, maybe people just aren't getting it yet or whatever it is and so it's hard to make that decision to be like no I gotta just cut it for for me that's why I started doing things that just come in and out of season so I'll be like I'm just bringing this for Mm -hmm. a month but in in the frozen food world you can't really do that you have to have something that people know they're going to go to that section and get it right it's challenging to be too seasonal and frozen yeah it doesn't flex as much you can have some seasonality and you can have some special pop especially around different holidays but it's 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 hard to flex because the frozen distribution and network you know you if you think about it you're you're building your goods and then it, it goes to the distributor this distributor centers and then from there it goes to the stores and so it has a, a much longer shelf life it's yeah. like a most frozen foods are at 12 months because the freezer is a preserver, which is amazing because it lets you make products without preservatives but it sort of creates this sort of longer um Process And so if you're thinking about seasonal products, it has to be very thought out and it has to be direct business. So it's more complex. That's why you don't see a ton of seasonal stuff in the yeah. freezer. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So tell me about your new products. So Because you um, brought some of yeah, those for me to try so today. I'm so excited about this. So it's our first time branching out of the Brazilian cheese bread is this year. So we launched a line of mini empanadas, which I'm super excited about as well and it just hits stores oh, so, so essentially cute. we took um you know empanadas are savory uh handheld field items uh-huh. also traditionally from latin america and yeah. so we're staying within sort of the brand identity of bringing delicious latin inspired products to the u.s market that are naturally gluten-free we use the dough from our best seller the cheddar parm brazilian cheese bread so it's powered by that deliciousness oh cool and so filled with the dough of, from your already existing products so yeah. people can know the and be familiar with it there but that's then it's right. filled with different things that's right and so we have like a chicken and cheese we have a bean we have two vegetarians and two meat options very cool what what I love about the empanadas is that how did try the chicken and cheese awesome how um how they f- differentiate from like the Brazilian cheese bread is that they can be uh, a light meal um and so and also they are protein filled so another thing that our fans were asking for is like you know protein is important protein like give us something with protein mm-hmm. and so 
that's our creation. Um, and it's um, it's a, it's already out there on the market. It's at Target. It's launching at a bunch of stores. So we're excited about it. Wow. That's super awesome. So, and this was something, I think Sarah had a question for you. Was this, did you bring this product to Expo West this year? We did. So this was the new one. We did. So then you brought the empanadas to Expo West. You had already gone to Expo West with your other products. But then now, because of that, is it in these other stores? It was the Expo S helped achieve that mm-hmm. because it created the buzz, right? Yeah. So we we sort of what Expo S this year was the first time with a new product line because up until this year we were a Brazilian cheese bread maker. Mm-hmm. You make one product line, which is not unusual. Brand star, and you can potentially have your brand be one product forever. That is great. We had just Brazilian cheese bread for almost ten years. Yeah. We were laser focused on that mission. We finally felt like the brand was ready to grow and could absorb another product line. So we used Expo West to communicate to the audience, we are now more than Brazilian cheese bread. We are a Latin-inspired food company, and here's our new offering. Here's our new creation. And so we created a lot of buzz around the empanadas and created a lot of connections with buyers that then our sales team goes out there and try to close that business, right? Because... What happens at Expo West is so you make that connection. You, you spoke about like not being able to sell, and that's frustrating on the floor. Mm-hmm. So you have it's sort of like it creates a second layer of work, but that's how it goes. You know, that's what it takes. And so you make that connection. The buyer gets excited, and the buyer says, "Well, come see me. Mm-hmm. You know, come see me in Dallas. Come see me in Florida. Come see me in Seattle." So you have to go visit and tell the story again in a in a in a, a format that's more technical that you can showcase your offerings and saying, this is that buzz that you saw at Expo. This is what my offering is. This is my price point. This is when I can deliver. This is why I believe this product will be successful in your freezer. Yeah, that's so great. Well, I love this new product line. I think it's so cool. And I think it. I think the important thing about it, too, is that it still fits with your old line. So you're still, I mean, your, your original line. So you're still using that same bread. You're still telling that same story. But it's just a product that people were asking you for, which is so great. Exactly. Yeah, nice job. Um, I did want to talk about, um, I saw on your website that you were on Shark Tank, right? Yeah, Can yeah. you tell me about that? When was, yeah, when was sure. that? So we went on Shark Tank in 2015. We had mm-hmm. been in business for about four years. It was an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, it was an incredible experience. We... We were um, well on our way of growing the brand. We weren't huge, um, but we weren't tiny. We were in about, let's say, a thousand stores, approaching a thousand. We were at Whole Foods. We were at Sprouts and some Fred Meyer and such. Um, And so I think that's important context for people to understand, like, where in the development stage we were and why it worked so well for us. Being on the show was amazing because we had already kind of the good foundation for the company. And we... We knew we had something special, right? Like Brazilian cheese bread, our recipe was so delicious. The early adopters were just raving about it, couldn't get enough, become loyal consumers very quickly. But we also realized that we weren't growing fast enough and we could potentially run out of money and go out of business, Mm -hmm. even with something incredible. And so being on Shark Tank allowed for that overnight exposure. It's sort of like we needed to be discovered, right, in a broader way because getting it would probably take us 10 years from that point to get that sort of what happened the month following with just 9 million people watch the show and we 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 knew that the sharks would love the product we hoped Mm -hmm. 
you know, we, we put delicious product out. It was freshly baked. The sharks took a bite and they were like, oh my God, I can't believe this is gluten-free. I can't believe this product. This is amazing. So the viewers listened to that and yeah. that's all that it took, you know, is it's sort of the shark tasting in front of them. Like it just, it's sort of like it, it, that trust, you know, the viewers trust the shark's opinion. And so they were like, well, I, got, I better go try this. And so people from all over the country drove to the near stores, crashed our website looking oh, for a store locator, <laughs> went to all of the stores in their neighborhood from New York to Florida to California, bought everything that wow. we had in the country. And it became a frenzy. And the cool thing was that they bought and then they fell in love with it. That's so great. And then they became fans. And so that just, the, the brand just exploded. It was an amazing experience. It just really hit the mark for us. That's so great. Well, what a cool story and experience. And did you end up taking a deal on that show or no? We ended up, if you watch the episode, you see that we did do a deal on TV. Uh-huh. That deal did not materialize in real life later on. Okay. Which was okay with us. It just yeah. was a mutual decision. Well, and it's awesome that you cre- you got out of the show this great um, following and all these people that found you because they trusted the person, the people's opinion on the show. Right. That's so cool. I love that. Um, so we tried your product. I love it. I want everyone to go and get it, please. Locally, where can people find it? Locally in Portland, in the freezer section, at New Seasons, mm-hmm. at Whole Foods, at Safeway, at Market of Choice, pretty much every store. If you go to brazibites.com, there's a locator it it just it gives you the exact store near you with the exact flavors and assortment near you. Target as well. We we're at Costco sometimes. Costco does kind of ins and outs. We're we're gonna be back at Costco here in the beginning of September. So for those uh, lo, you know Costco members that like the bulk bag um, this fall, it will be back there. Very cool. So if you are um, need to find it in your area, they have a good locator on their website. What's your website title? Uh, Brazibytes.com. Perfect. So you can go there and check it out. They also have, um, you have Twitter and Instagram and those kinds of things. Absolutely. Do you want to mention those handles? Um, yeah. In- Instagram is at uh, Brazi uh, underscore bytes. Um, all of those, um, the links are on our website. So I don't expect you guys to remember that. Yeah. Well, so make sure to find them and follow them. And we are running out of time. I had like a million other things I wanted to talk to you about. But is there any final thing you want to tell us about? Anything exciting coming up or... We are just thrilled about our new products. I think, um, you know, go definitely help us. Go try. Let us know what you think. Follow us on Instagram. We love hearing from people trying our products. And also, if you're a food entrepreneur and, you know, feel free to reach out to me and I'll, I'll be happy to help. That's and so along great. With your journey. Yeah, you seem like you would be a wonderful resource for anyone who has questions about going through the process because you've been through so many steps and you can just, just even sometimes hearing somebody describe their experience really helps people as they're going through it. Absolutely. So thanks for putting that out there to our listeners. And everybody go try these empanadas. They're so good. I'm super into the black bean and cheddar. Uh, so we record Masonian Marshall. inside of Ned Space. Tune in live every week, Fridays at 9 a.m. or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alan, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or submit any press releases, just go to startupradionetwork.com. Until next week, thank you. Bye. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of The Meaningful Marketplace.
committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.